So, Philemon, let's uh, hear the whole of this letter. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Apthia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that... Through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. And may God indeed bring the blessing uh, to his word read and proclaimed. Well, I said this is sort of a continuance of Colossians, and that is because Philemon, or Philemon, is an elder, by all appearances, of the church in Colossae. And he is mentioned in the letter uh, to the Colossian church, and uh, he is serving here. And those who are coming to bring the letter to the church are also bringing this letter specifically to Philemon, and uh, through him to his household and to the church that meets in his house. It's one of those letters when you read the uh, opening couple verses is that Paul, though he is writing to Philemon, 
he knows Apthia, who probably is his wife by all appearances, and Archippus, who is probably his pastor in that particular congregation, that he wants them to hear this letter, and as well the whole of the church that meets in his house. There's probably two congregations at least in Colossae at this time. Uh, there's the household, the, the congregation that meets at the household of Nympha, and of course this one here that are mentioned. And, and Paul is, does it this way, not because he wants to push Philemon to do something very difficult, very challenging, but putting it before the church, forcing him to do it. It's not for that purpose. But he's doing this because as we hear of the accolades that he speaks of concerning Philemon, he wants Philemon to be a testimony of the work of God's gospel in the life of one who is able to demonstrate the gospel to others and to have that picture of the gospel set so wonderfully before the church. It's like he wants to say to the church, do you see what your elder and your brother Philemon was able to do? Extraordinary grace exhibited. Now you a church, now you do the same. It's, it's sort of in that way that he writes. And, and in that way, Philemon is a continuance of the letter uh, to the Colossians. As I noted, he was probably a leader, an elder in Colossae, uh, and he, at his house, congregated one of at least two congregations in that city. He is also the master of Onesimus. Onesimus is a slave who, as we read through the New Testament uh, letters of Paul, whom we see is one who ran away from his master, Philemon. And in running away, he, it appears he wasn't a Christian at that time. He may have run away in, in a variety of ways, just maybe running away as a slave, no longer wanting to be a slave and uh, uh, trying just to get away from that life that uh, slavery brought. Uh, or he could have been a, a servant in that way that was sent uh, with uh, a bit of money to do some work or to purchase something and didn't, stole the money. And, and I lean that way more because Paul in this letter speaks about the debt that Onesimus owes. And it's not uncommon for a trusted slave to run away with money. But in the course of having run away from Philemon, he came and he met Paul. And, and meeting Paul, he heard the gospel and no doubt was brought under the same conviction uh, from hearing it in the home of his master. Flamon was a, a leader and as we read this letter, he was a very devout believer, loved by all, who displayed in his life so beautifully and wonderfully the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't help but see that as Paul writes of him. Uh, and it was Epaphras, one of the men that he mentions here, who spoke much to Paul about Philemon. And as Onesimus came to faith in Christ, his standing before God changed, and thus his standing before the church stayed, uh, changed. Uh, it didn't mean that he wasn't no longer a slave, but it does mean that here is now a saint in Christ 
whose life has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And Paul writes to Philemon and asks him to do the very difficult work of forgiving. What a difficult, challenging work that's before him. You can almost feel some of the weight when you understand those circumstances around the separation of Onesimus from Philemon's household. A trusted servant. One that you have been extraordinarily kind to. And in leaving, that trust is broken. You also have the societal issues of master to slave to deal with and and being able to forgive such a person who has so offended you and offended your kindness and offended the, the culture of society in relationship of master to slave. Paul is saying to him, forgive him. You know, Repentance itself is a very hard thing. Think about it when you, you yourself sin and you know you have sinned and how challenging, how difficult it is in your own heart to bring yourself even before the Lord to say, Father, forgive me for the wrong that I have done. Listing that specific sin before you. And, and yet, in that repentance and knowing that God has promised to those who confess their sins that He will forgive them. He is faithful to forgive us from all our unrighteousness, to wash us clean of it and to, to bring us up out and, and to instill in our hearts that knowledge of His forgiving love. Repentance can be hard, but forgiving one who has sinned against us is even harder. (laughs) And and that really is what this letter brings us to deal with. I mean, we're going to see more of this next week when we examine the latter half of this letter and that whole relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. But I want us to focus this evening specifically on what Philemon is being asked to do. Paul wrote to to encourage him to do the right thing in forgiving Onesimus and receiving him as a brother in Christ. And when you go back to the letter uh, to the Colossians, you see that emphasis on relationships within the church. And one of the great things that uh, Paul wrote of in Colossians 3 was us being able to put on the tender mercies of Christ so that we would forgive one another even as Christ has forgiven us. That's a hard work. It really is. Jesus told a parable of two servants. A one who owed his master millions and millions. <laughs> and another servant who owed his fellow servant like a few hundred. Uh, a few hundred in comparison. And the servant who owed much pleaded with his master, forgive me, uh, uh, you know, don't put me in prison. Uh, I can't. I, I can't pay it back. <laughs> and the master was moved with compassion and and forgave his servant all that huge debt that he owed. And that same servant went out 
and went to his brother who owed him a small amount and couldn't forgive him. That parable is told because of the challenge and the difficulty we have in our own hearts in forgiving one another. We want to be forgiven by God for all of our sins, but oh, how difficult it is for us to forgive each other. Jesus told a, another parable in, in relation to that in Luke 17, but that parable was speaking about the faith and duty that is ours to do the right thing in forgiving. It comes on the heels of His disciples asking Him in Luke 17 verse 4, uh, you know, you, you can see the backdrop of that, that they're talking about how can you forgive someone who sinned against you? And Jesus says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, can you imagine? I mean, we as parents gain that experience and exercise to do those very difficult things when we are dealing with our children. If you haven't, if you haven't any children, you haven't experienced that very sanctifying way of learning to forgive someone many times for the same sin over and over and over again. But in our lives and relationships with one another, that's a struggle. Especially if somebody maybe uh, has a, a, a foul tongue and, and says things that are just biting and, and sarcastic and, and they offend us. And, and, and they come back again, time and time again, as Jesus says here. Even in the same day, He says, Oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm being sanctified in this, but I, I failed again. Would you forgive me for what I said? We might, the first time, you know the rule of, of society around us, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. Uh, sorry, fool me once, uh, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, you know, society works that way, doesn't it? But the church doesn't. <laughs> and it's like when they come back, Jesus is saying, you shall forgive them every time. And that work of forgiving one another is a hard kingdom work. It really is. And as Jesus is saying this in Luke 17, the apostles look at Him and said, we need more faith. <laughs> Increase our faith. And Jesus tells them this parable about a servant that is out in the field working and laboring all day. And when he's finished all the work that's out in the field, he comes in thinking, oh, now I can rest and eat. And But he comes in and his master says, no, you can't sit down and eat and rest until you have prepared my supper. So go and do what you need to do in, in serving me and then you can rest. And he applies that very message to this whole issue of forgiving one another. As he says in Luke 17.10, when you have done this, when you have done this with uh, those things that are commanded of you, you recognize you've only done your duty. <laughs> you've done what is required of you. And it's hard. It's not a matter of having great faith. 
It's a matter of being faithful. <laughs> and, and, and Paul gets to that here in Philemon. And that's what Jesus said. If you had faith as a mustard seed, you wouldn't have any trouble doing this. <laughs> because where is your faith? It is in the Lord. And your faith is always, is it not, looking to what Christ has done for you to bring to you the forgiving love of your Heavenly Father. And so if your faith is even small and is able to look and see what Christ did on the cross and be able to look at that, as small as your faith is, you see what has brought you forgiveness before God. And that work of His grace is now in you working out in forgiving one another. It's faithfulness to that end. And that's what Paul is encouraging Philemon onto. And Paul even says, you know, I could command you to do these things. Verse 8. But I'm appealing to you as a brother. Paul, as one who himself had to learn to forgive others. I'm appealing to you as an elder, the aged. That word is the same word that we translate into elder, presbyteros, presbytery, presbyterian. It means elder. But he's also appealing as one who is a prisoner in the bonds of Christ. It's like Paul is saying to Philemon, look, I understand your circumstance, Philemon. I also understand Onesimus' circumstances. I, I, I can relate and identify to both of you. But in doing so, we have to understand as God's people, as His church, we do not do things as the world does. We do things as Christ would. And though we could be commanded, and indeed Jesus said the same thing in Luke 17, you understand what is your duty. I could command you. But what does Paul say here in verse 9? It's for love's sake that I appeal to you. For love's sake. You see, this is where, in many ways, the rubber meets the road in respect of Christ-like love. You understand what love is? We know that God is love and He has demonstrated His love to us, has He not, in the sending of His Son. He has, uh, 1 John 4, He has uh, demonstrated His love to us in, in providing that propitiation for our sins that we need. He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves before God. None of us could ever provide a single measure of atonement even for what we would consider to be one of our smallest sins. There is nothing that we could do to wipe away the judgment of God for the smallest of our sin. And yet in Christ, God has provided that. God has demonstrated His love to us. And that very love is now what is in us. We understand the character of love. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, you know that very well. That's the chapter on love, on God's love. And at verse 4 to 8, the, the character, the very nature of love is defined there for us. And what's the very first thing? The very first two things that Paul says of love there. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love suffers long and is kind. (laughs) 
That's what it is. We talk about agape love and we, we set it down as a love that's willing to sacrifice. Well, Paul, you know, takes it beyond that. He said, no, love is something that suffers long and is kind. And then he goes on to a whole lot of other uh, uh, characteristics of it. But in the end, what he says there in verse 8 is that love never fails. And Paul here to Philemon is, is arguing from love rather than authority. <laughs> because when we grasp the love of God that has been shed abroad in our heart, if it is real, we can exercise it. And when we understand this, I think in many ways uh, we, can, we can look at Philemon, and, and I'm not saying this because uh, I agree with it, but Philemon isn't about the church learning to end slavery in the world, <laughs> even though slavery is an evil. Uh, and it was wrong in Paul's day. It's just as wrong then as it is today. God makes uh, provision in some ways for it because the the world is still uh, has slavery going on in it. But but God has made uh, laws concerning that for His people that they were never to enslave brothers, fellow members of God's community. So, you know, but, but I, I, I digress on that because it isn't about end, ending slavery. Philemon is about the extraordinary, the otherworldly nature of the labor of love in our hearts towards one another. And that Christ-like love is the motivation in us exhorting and encouraging us to do those hard kingdom righteousness matters in our life and relationship with one another. And when you look here, Paul uh, is is encouraging Timothy. Uh, and first of all, what we see in verses 4 and 5 is, is he shows Philemon. Sorry, I said Timothy, I meant Philemon. He's showing Philemon where his love is already focused. You know, it almost sounds like Paul is flattering Philemon to get him to move, but he isn't. He's, he's reminding him of the love and the faithfulness that spurs on from the love that he has. Where is your love focused? And he says there, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have, first of all, toward the Lord. I know you love the Lord Jesus. And you know, that's, that's something about our love always. When we talk about loving one another, we understand that that other person isn't the immediate object of our love, is it? It's always the Lord. We're always loving Christ. And we can't help but love Christ because God's love is what has been poured out in our hearts. (laughs) Romans 5 verse 5, it is God's own love that the Holy Spirit has put upon us. Even Jesus, as He exhorted His apostles, as He exhorted the church, 
about one of the greatest witnesses that they could have before this world that they are his disciples is if they had love for one another. And and so he comes and in John 13, 34, he commands them. But he comes and he says, I'm giving you a new commandment, a new understanding of how you are to love one another. It's not new in the sense that it, it... it abolishes the old. It's new in that it's now represented in Christ. That, that's the amazing thing about it. But you know, the old commandment said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and love one another or love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus comes and He says, I'm here to make that new. <laughs> love one another as I have loved Step it up. And, and, and that's what, what Paul is recognizing in Philemon. He says, I see your love toward the Lord. You know, the exercise of our love is not on self-interest. It's not on our ambitions or some advantage that we have. Love is first and foremost focused to the Lord. And when we have our eyes set on Christ, knowing His love for us. Knowing the Father's love through Christ to us. Knowing the Holy Spirit is putting this love within our lives. Pull it all together. Our love is toward the Lord. And, and, And thereby our faith cannot help but love the Lord Jesus. Love the One who so loved us and gave Himself for us. And that's why, just in, in a slight uh, interpretation value, when, when Paul there speaks about hearing of your love and faith, and this is one of the rare times that faith comes after love. And, and that word that's used there can also be translated, and I think it would be more accurately translated, hearing of your love and the faithfulness that comes from it. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Whenever faith comes after love, I think it's speaking more about our faithfulness that that love is producing. Love for Christ. Love toward Christ. Seen in faithful conduct. And when we have the Lord as our chief focus in love, Paul then goes on to say there, you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I do believe there's a great emphasis on all the saints because now he's going to say, and Onesimus is one of those saints now. (laughs) You need to love him. But focus your love first on Christ. And then when, when it's focused on Christ, how can you not love those whom he has loved? That's the argument. It always goes in that manner. And and. Philemon, my friends, when you read what Paul says there of him, he was a devout worshiper of God. He was, uh, you, you always see them, some of those extraordinary, devout, godly men. <laughs> you know, we are all striving for it. But there's always these few who come along that everyone looks at and says, I, uh, I've never seen such a godly person. Warms your heart when you see them, isn't it? Warms your heart even when you just think of them. I, I remember in one of the churches that we were members of in our journey along in our faith, uh, Joanne will know him, Marvin McLean. Whenever I think, I think uh, 
probably, uh, Kathy knows Marvin McLean or remembers the name from Mount Zion. Uh, they would have one in Cambridge, Ruby Taylor. You know, whenever you think of these people, your heart just begins to glow, doesn't it? Because they are so devout, so loving, so faithful. And, and, and Paul has seen this. He says, I know, Philemon, you display a very sincere and unprejudicial love for those Christ has redeemed. The way he phrases his words, he doesn't want Philemon to forgive out of guilt or out of an authoritative command. It's to spring from love, for love's sake. And that love is a working out of his love for Christ. Paul is bearing to him a a witness just as he has heard a witness about Philemon from probably Epaphras, Paul is, is bearing to Philemon a faithful witness of Onesimus and saying there, as he did back in Colossians 4.9, here is a faithful and beloved brother. He is no longer a poor runaway slave. He is now a converted saint of Christ. And so focus your love on Him as you would love the Lord Jesus. And and when our love is so focused, it brings forth fruit. And that's the second thing that we see in verses 6 and 7, what this love produces. Again, Paul isn't flattering Philemon. He isn't using manipulative speech to get him to do what he wants him to do. But in testimony of of his faith that was already known, Paul is urging him, love Onesimus as Christ has worked in your life. And and, and that's because Paul himself wants to feel the the joy and the fruit that, that true Christian love exercised brings. What does love produce? Well, love toward the saints produces, first of all, great joy. (laughs) That's what he says there. The sharing of your faith uh, by every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Uh, We've heard this. We see this. And it's been acknowledged. And look what he says in verse 7. We have great joy. Great joy. That that word joy uh, actually is the word charis. Uh, it's the word that's most often translated grace. Uh, but it's, it's a word when it's used in this context is speaking about the, the blessing of, of praise that, and thanksgiving that can be offered to God. His merciful kindness, His generous goodness, the, the love that uh, Philemon exercised toward the saints was so well knew, known that it, it drew out that joyful praise and thanksgiving, not just from those who received it, but from those who heard about it. Don't you get that sometimes? When someone comes to you and says, you know what? Uh, without naming names, do you know what so-and-so did for me? And, and you hear it and, and, and you see a, a, a wonderful action of love exhibited in the Lord's name to someone. And how can you not step back and just say, well, 
thank the Lord. It, it fills your heart with warmth, doesn't it? And, and true and genuine love toward one another. When it's focused on Christ, it brings this joy right into the midst of God's people. The, the greater thing that it also brings, and, and this is where I want to focus a little time on, is also consolation. We have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. You think about why we are called to love one another as Christ has loved us. It's because the Lord is using us in His glory to bring consolation to His people. That word consolation is used of Christ. In Luke 2.25, Simon or Simeon in the temple was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word is used of the Holy Spirit. Acts 9.31, walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's the same word, consolation, comfort. But it's used especially of the Father. In 2 Corinthians 1, when it speaks of the Father, uh, the Father, the God of all comfort and consolation. It, It is speaking very much of the compassionate care that comes and meets us, springing out of love that brings refreshment to our hearts. And again, there's another word that needs to be translated. That word refreshed is the same word that's often translated, it brings rest to our hearts. And when you put it all together, what Paul here is looking at is how love toward the saints in the name of Jesus Christ is able to bring rest and relief in the name of Christ. And very specifically, you know, to borrow from Matthew 11 what Jesus said when he, when he called His disciples, He said, Come to Me, all you who are, what? Weak, heavy laden, burdened. All you who labor. Come to Me and I will, what? I will give you rest. Why is Paul uh, stressing that at this point? Because my friends, you may hide it, but walking without forgiveness is a great burden, isn't it? Especially if it's something of an offense that is between you and another saint, particularly within a congregation. When offenses arise... Again, isn't it the hardest thing to repent and seek forgiveness? But it's also a hard thing to extend it. And until that reconciliation happens, how are we in our relationships where the offenses rise? It's a very heavy burden, isn't it? 
It weighs us down. It stresses us out. It brings us anxiety. We fear seeing that person that we may have offended or we fear that person who has offended us. We we don't want to be with them and we're trying to direct our ways so that we don't have to confront them or be confronted by them. Don't you experience those burdens? (laughs) And isn't it a weight? And it's a soul that is not at rest. And and Paul here is reminding us, you know, when we are demonstrating that love of God that has been poured out in our hearts, that love of Christ that moved Him to go and bear our sins unto death on the cross, when we are exercising that love towards one another, what does it produce? Consolation. A very caring love that meets saints who are under burdens and the labor, and particularly in this experience, that that burden and labor of sin and offense that needs to be forgiven. And when we love one another to that degree of extending that mercy and forgiveness, what a grace, what a great joy that comes and meets us from God, from the Spirit, because we are conveying Christ's love in Christ's name and experiencing that very refreshing relief from our burdens that Christ has promised to bring. And He is saying, this, this, uh, dear Philemon and congregation of the Lord, this, this is what love produces when it's exercised. In Christ. And it comes to this last point as we see in verses 8 to 11. How is this love to be exercised? And just keeping that for our point's sake, but a very pointedly thing is understanding what we need, and that is boldness. We heard that this morning. But Paul said, Look, I could be very bold in verse 8 to command you. Uh, and and under that commandment, it would be a duty before you. But let love be the motivation here. Let love make you bold. <laughs> For love's sake, do this thing. And when this boldness is exercised in love, what is right and proper is now done. I mean, I could command you to do what is right and proper. That's what Paul is saying. How much more when this, what is right and proper, when this springs out because of love, not because of duty. You think about it with Christ. Again, He offered Himself up. But did He do it out of duty? And we are told He did it out of love. In love, Christ offered Himself up in our place to deal with our sins. And where was His love focused? It was focused preeminently in accordance to the Father. I have come to do Your will, Father. And He knew the Father's love for us 
And it wasn't a mere duty, I'm coming to obey my Father and give myself. No, it was, it was out of uh, the Father's love for us and Christ's love for us. It was costly. But it was proper. It was right. It was the thing that would meet and bring us the consolation that we need before God. And Paul is saying to us, our love is to be exercised in that same bold and fitting fitting way. This is what is right. It follows that indescribable gift that we have in Christ from the Father. And it makes us a people generous in forgiveness because we have tasted that mercy from our God. So for love's sake, for love's sake, forgive For love's sake, relieve that burden. Bring consolation. For love's sake, do what is fitting. Do what is proper and right. And the Lord receives the glory for these things. Isn't it amazing, my dear friends, just knowing and looking at most of you, that we can be such conveyors of the glory and the grace of our God. May He help us to that end. Let's pray.